For the News and Observer and the NC Insider, I'm Luciana Perez Uribe Ginasi, your host for the episode of Under the Dome this Monday, August 22nd, 2022. Today, we're going to talk about the 20 week abortion ban that was just reinstated by a federal judge last Wednesday. First, I want to provide a little bit of context. This rule first became a law decades ago, but wasn't enforceable because of the definition of fatal viability outlined in Roe v. Wade. Of course, Roe v. Wade was overturned in the Dobbs case two months ago, now in June, which changed things up. After the Dobbs ruling, a North Carolina Middle District federal judge looked into the law again and ruled that the ban was now enforceable. So what does this all mean? This means abortions are still legal up to 20 weeks, but there are certain exceptions to the abortion laws more broadly in the state. The most interesting exceptions include those for medical emergencies. These are limited to life-threatening and high-risk situations. It also excludes people at risk of self-harm or suicide. The definition of medical emergency used to be a lot broader but the Republican-controlled legislature narrowed it down to this definition in 2015. Another interesting exception is that people who want an abortion before the 20-week mark in their pregnancy are required to get state-mandated counseling three days before that abortion, which isn't entirely new. There are also no exceptions for survivors of rape or incest. And it's important to note that medical insurance coverage for rape and incest abortions is highly limited in the state already. After an article I posted Thursday on the ban, I got a follow-up email from Molly Rivera. She's the communications director for Planned Parenthood South Atlantic. And she shared another interesting exception, saying, and this is a quote, the law does not include an exception for a patient with a wanted pregnancy who receives the devastating diagnoses that the fetus will not survive after birth. For example, she said, even when confronted with a prenatal diagnosis, certain to lead to an early painful death for their baby, such as Tay-Sachs disease or an encephaly, parents would not have the option to end the pregnancy. They would be forced to travel out of state to get an abortion from a doctor who presumably they've never met before or carry the pregnancy to term. Again, those are the words of Molly Rivera from Planned Parenthood South Atlantic. A big unknown is also how this ban will be enforced. Enforcement ultimately lies at the hands of district attorneys, but some have expressed that they don't intend to enforce it. For example, the district attorney who wrote the defense of the federal lawsuit wrote they had, and this is a quote, no intention to exercise that enforcement authority. Looking into the future, whether new abortion laws will be passed will depend on, like many other issues, who has control of the legislature. Currently, Republicans hold the majority in both chambers of the NCGA. Whether they can pass abortion laws in the future sessions depends on if they get enough votes on this. Republican leaders, House Speaker Tim Moore and Senate leader Phil Berger have told many of us on the NC poll team that they are interested in enacting future abortion laws. Meanwhile, Democrats in the state have largely ex expressed a desire to protect abortion rights, 
Governor Roy Cooper, who we know is a Democrat, holds veto power. So Republicans will be vying to get a supermajority in the upcoming elections. So obviously a lot remains to be seen, but as always, we are on it. You can expect us to bring you the latest on all things abortion and politics. So stay tuned. Now, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, you'll hear from our D.C. correspondent, Danielle Battaglia, who spoke with our summer politics intern, Kyle Ingram, on his last day. He covered a lot of the NC Green Party shenanigans. So stick around and we'll be right back. You're listening to Under the Dome. I'm Danielle here to wrap things up with Kyle Ingram. We've loved having you as an intern and uh, I invited you to come on to Under the Dome today because you've had a pretty full summer with, um, I don't know if you know this was my fault, but I gave you what I thought was a pretty (laughs) boring story that turned into a story that I'm kind of jealous you got to cover. And uh, just kind of wanted to recap what your summer's been like at News and Observer and your um, legacy with the Green Party. Yeah, um, that was really unexpected. Um, The Green Party was the first story I wrote here on my first day. Uh, They just said, hey, look, like uh, this third party might be getting on the ballot most likely. Um, So that's just like a fun little quirky aside that you can work on. Um, And that has turned into a months-long legal battle with national implications uh, in a very convoluted scheme of lawsuits and um, outside campaigns that I did not expect. (laughs) So take take me through it. So what has gone on with the Green Party? What should we know? Right. So the Green Party lost their ballot access in 2021 because their national candidates did not turn out enough votes. So that meant they had to organize a petition drive in order to get back on the ballot and be recognized as an official party. So they spent a long time gathering signatures uh, to be on this petition. And once they turned them all in and were waiting, uh, the State Board of Investigations was alerted to some irregularities uh, by different county boards, uh, signatures that appeared to be different from the handwriting uh, throughout the pages, uh, signatures repeated, things like that. So that was all happening while the Democratic groups, such as the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee and the Elias Group, which is a high-power Democratic law firm, were also contacting the State Board of Elections with all of these problems that they had seen and that they did not want the Green Party to be on the ballot. The DSCC contacted people who had signed the Green Party's petition, asking them to remove their signature, saying that it would hurt Democrats in the election. And so all of this sort of convened in this big State Board of Elections meeting that happened at the end of June, right before the candidate filing deadline of July 1st, to get any new candidates on the ballot. And uh, the board voted along party lines to deny certifications of the Green Party, three to two, with the Democrats voting against. And uh, it was pretty, pretty shocking, I think, in the moment, just because at that point, we weren't aware of the breadth of the investigation. Uh, It was sort of Coming out of nowhere, all of these claims of fraud, um, I think the Green Party themselves were quite shocked by that decision. And it seemed to pretty uh, significantly cement the fact that they would not be on the ballot. Of course, as we know now, (laughs) they've somehow overcome that. Um, They sued in federal court against the State Board of Elections, arguing this decision had violated their First Amendment and due process rights that they weren't allowed to argue against 
these claims of fraud, that they were being denied the opportunity to represent themselves in the political system. And during that time, the state board was continuing to conduct, conduct its investigation. And without, uh, without us expecting this, they came out and said that they were going to have another meeting where they considered recognition of the North Carolina Green Party. And so, you know, we had no idea what to expect from that. But going into it, uh, they let the public know that they had asked all of the county boards to conduct a signature matching process, going back through the Green Party's petition signatures, matching them up with what's already in their databases. And they said that they found that after doing so, the Green Party still had more than enough valid signatures to qualify for ballot access. So with that being said, they voted unanimously in favor of certification, reversing their own decision from the end of June. But of course, that wasn't the end of the story, because as we said, that July 1st candidate filing deadline had already passed. <clears throat> so at that point, the only way for them to get on the ballot was from either action from the state legislature or from a court. So that's when their federal lawsuit came into effect. So, of course, part of their complaint was now moot because they had been certified, but they still weren't going to be on the ballot. So they met with the judge. Uh, everything got a little bit altered. Um, and the judge uh, eventually came out with an order that the uh, deadline be extended for the Green Party so that they could file and be included on the ballot. Seemed to be the end of it. They celebrated. The Democrats appealed this order to the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals. And yesterday, the court came out with a, a denial of their motion for emergency stay. Uh, so they said that they will keep the lower court's ruling. They will allow the deadline to be extended. And because today was the day that the dead ballot printing process begins with the State Board of Elections, it seems, and I am very hesitant to say this given everything that's happened this summer, but it seems like this may be the final say in the matter, and they will likely include the two Green Party candidates on the ballots, which would be Matthew Ho for U.S. Senate and Michael Trudeau for State Senate District 16. How bummed are you going to be if this isn't the final? <laughs> <laughs> At that point, it is no longer on me. Uh, today is my last day, but uh, I'm sure everyone is uh, very capable of covering that. <laughs> We appreciate that. I don't know who's going to pick it up because I handed it to you and uh, you ran with it so thoroughly and so much more in depth than we ever expected. It's been interesting. It's been an interesting summer and great to watch you just take that on the way you have. Well, thank you. I mean, it's been fascinating um, and I did not see it going as far as it did. I don't think the Green Party is something that very often enters, especially North Carolina political uh, discourse or political reporting, but they certainly made themselves newsworthy, and they really refused to to take a take a defeat here. So I want to talk to about you now, <laughs> which you didn't <laughs> oh, no. see coming. Um, <laughs> so you're a student, right? Yeah, I'm going into my senior year at UNC Chapel Hill. And what is your dream job? What do you want to do? My dream job would be pretty close to what you're doing right now, Danielle. I'd like to be a <laughs> congressional reporter in DC. 
So you're coming for my job. I am. I'm angling for it. <laughs> I mean, okay. I've actually said, I've actually said to people up here that when you graduate, we should find you a job up here. So that's good to hear. Thank you. I'm, I'm looking for I'm looking for holes for you to fill. So. <laughs> um, what made you passionate about journalism? So growing up, um, you know, when I was in like elementary and middle school, I just read all the time uh, fiction books. So for a long time, I thought I just wanted to be a fiction writer. Um, and when I was uh, 14, I was a freshman in high school. I did uh, the National Novel Writing Month Challenge, NaNoWriMo. And it's like, you have to write 50,000 words of a novel in one month. Um, so I did that and I wrote 50,000 words of a mystery novel. And it was, it was just awful. It was so bad. <laughs> but um, after that, I, my school, my high school didn't have a creative writing class. We had a journalism class. And uh, my journalism teacher was just a really amazing and encouraging woman. And um, doing that sort of writing, I felt that I was a lot better at and was more exciting than, than doing fiction. And I just uh, pursued it ever since. I wanted to ask you a few more questions. So um, do you have any tips for students looking to go into journalism? What's your thoughts on that? Wow. I know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I think I, like every other student getting involved in journalism, got my start at my campus's newspaper, The Daily Tar Heel. Um, there's no substitute for experience and for just like throwing yourself into it. Um, and I think that that's, well, I, I loved my journalism education and my classes and my school. Um, nothing beats doing the real thing. So I think just getting your foot in the door wherever you can is, is the best thing you can do. This wasn't your first internship, was it? No, uh, last summer I interned at NC Policy Watch, um, where uh, I covered you know, state politics, but mostly higher education. Um, that was when the Nicole Hannah-Jones tenure scandal was happening at UNC, and that ended up being most of what we reported on that summer. So you've had like lengthy summer <laughs> series <laughs> going on. <laughs> yes, every summer something seems to happen that takes uh, two or three months to resolve itself. Do you have a favorite like moment from your internship this summer or favorite and a no tradition? Because weirdly, we have some weird things that we do. Like, I don't know if the general public knows, but I think we go to transfer like what once a week, it feels like. Um, I've been loving the transfer outings. Uh, that's been great. Um, I'm also a big fan of the FUBAR meter in the press corps room at the legislature. So the FUBAR meter, um, since we're family friendly, I won't tell you what that stands for. But you can <laughs> look it up, probably Urban Dictionary. Um, but basically, it tells you how messed up the General Assembly is at any given moment. And uh, we, well, I guess not me anymore because I'm up in Congress, but the state politics uh, press corps will move the meter depending on how crazy things are getting and we usually induct new people into the press room by letting them move it so i actually like it too there's a twitter account if you don't know that you can follow um we usually take photos of the moment that we do that and um yeah it's kind of a fun tradition we have there usually when i worked in that room it was always behind my head so whenever we did slack meetings it said foobar right behind <laughs> me it was great if y'all had a foobar at the U.S. Congress press room, what would it be at right now out of 10? Mm, I mean, I've been listening to the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022 hearings all day today. So we're recording this on Friday. Like we're like, what, four or five hours in and they're just Democrats versus Republicans fighting nonstop. So, I mean, 
it probably is like a normal day so it's probably like a four but it feels like a 10 to have so much tension going on <laughs> but probably more like a four okay yeah where are you guys set at right now do you know oh i don't know i think the last i saw the foo bar it was at around maybe a six i feel like that's where it tends to hang out mm-hmm. i just get real crazy for it to get up I've lobbied for it to go closer to nine or 10 a few times, but it's been a while. <laughs> so are you prepared with a headliner of the week? I'm, Do you want me to go first? Yeah, you should go first, Danielle. <laughs> okay. So I am going to pick Mar-a-Lago because I feel like Mar-a-Lago was just like a dead stop. Whatever you were doing, no matter what party, whatever your political thoughts are, whatever your thoughts on Trump are, like that was one of those moments that you're like, holy crap what is happening um, in America. Just in general, it's like a big deal to raid a president's home office, um, his uh, safe. And so I'm going to pick Mar-a-Lago. That's a hard one to beat. I I mean, what's what's headlining (laughs) above Mar-a-Lago at this point? Um, I mean, you could go inflation. (laughs) Because I've been listening to it for five hours. Or, you know what you could do, because it's about to happen at three today, so it's Friday again, at three today is when Trump is supposed to let the judge know if he wants the warrant released or not. Right. The warrants which he already has access to and could release. Yes. He could release it. And he's saying to release it, but he's supposed to tell the judge, and he hasn't released it, and the judge hasn't released it yet which makes me think his lawyers have a different opinion but who knows well i'm gonna go out on a bet that by the time this episode comes out there's a maybe a good chance that warrant will be available so my headline of the week is this perspective warrant which will let us know a little bit into why the fbi decided to search former president donald trump's home in mar-a-lago i just want you to know that if it doesn't come out you're leaving your readers <laughs> and your internship very upset <laughs> that we will not know. But <laughs> if, if that's the hill you want to die on. <laughs> you know, if I had to switch it out, I think as a nod to my first appearance on this show, wherein my headliner was the lemon chicken soup at the legislative cafeteria, I have found an even better soup in Raleigh, thanks to uh-huh. Don Vaughn, which is the chicken really velvet good. soup. Oh, no, mm-hmm. she she fully endorses this. The chicken velvet soup at Carol's Kitchen. It is spectacular. I have no idea what the velvet is. I, I, there's no red in it. I don't know why it's called chicken velvet, but it's amazing. Like, well, there's no red in it. I always figure it's a texture thing. Mm. And people may color. say, it's summer, Kyle. Why are you eating soup? Because it's really good. <laughs> I don't know. See, I feel bad because I can't go on Don's train. I don't know if most of you have read my story about having postural orthostatic tachycardia, but me eating soup triggers my heart condition because it's a heat intolerance. Well, heat intolerance is part of it. And so I hate soup, but I want to love soup. Like it's glorious, but I can't enjoy it like y'all do. So wow. So you and Dawn can go enjoy a girl's <laughs> kitchen and I will eat one of their great sandwiches. Yes, they also <laughs> have great sandwiches. Well, I appreciate you joining us. It's been great to uh, catch up with you on the Green Party and you in general, because I don't think I've just picked your brain on what you want to do. So it's been great to hear from you. For the News and Observer, I'm Danielle Battaglia. Thanks for listening.
For more from our politics team, subscribe to the News and Observer at newsobserver.com slash subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at Under the Dome and NC Insider and sign up for our weekly political newsletter, also called Under the Dome, at newsobserver.com slash newsletters. Thanks for listening.